0: Hey guys, my name is Tyler Henry, and I'm the host of the Brewed Up Apologetics podcast. The entire goal of this podcast is to bring together craft brewing, distilling, and just the love of that entire culture with apologetics, sound biblical thinking, and theology. So grab whatever you're drinking, doesn't matter what it is, and have a seat, enjoy this podcast as we start to talk and continue our conversation on the Imago Day. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Brewed Up Apologetics podcast. I'm super excited to be back. I took about a year-long hiatus from doing the the podcast, and a lot happened within that year. Um, so, yeah, like I've had just enough time to think about where to go with the podcast. Do I want to continue doing it? And I really do. I enjoy this. It is something that... I look forward to, um, and yeah, it, it's for me. It's just sometimes really difficult to put a lot of you know really big concepts together and try to string them to get like string them in a way that is um, understandable for you, but also is is a way that I un- also understand what I'm saying and that I can be clear and winsome in how I present it, but. Two of those two things that really happened last year. And I just want to give you a little bit of a life update um, as as we just like kind of relaunched the podcast. So, um, you know, my my wife, Taylor and and I, um, we got pregnant in February and it was awesome. We were planning just when we were planning on getting pregnant at some point in the year and hopefully having our baby by the end of 2022. And we did. Um, I'll introduce you here in a second. Um, but in the meantime, as Taylor was progressing through her pregnancy, we also bought a house, and that house was not move-in ready whenever we bought it. So it took a lot of time, it took a lot of work, and a lot of people coming around us and just really having um, having a good time bonding over some manual labor. Um, so after we bought the house, uh, we were working on it. We were living in, in the house for about six months before, uh, before the baby was born. And I am proud to say that I'm a girl dad. And I absolutely love being a girl dad. Not saying that I'm okay with pink, um, but purple is my favorite color. And from what my uh, camp director's son told me when I worked at camp, purple is a girl's color. So, I'm okay with some some girly things, I guess. So, we had Arwen and yes, you are correct. Arwen is from Lord of the Rings. Um I am a huge Lord of the Rings fan, um even though um my wife is not. She is learning to appreciate it, but you know, Arwen is just a really really beautiful name and it's fair because she is a very beautiful little girl. So, and she is actually sitting with me today. So, if you hear anything, she might be responding to some of the things that I'm saying. So, if you hear that that's okay. Uh she's just kind of here. I'm pulling dad duty tonight while Taylor is at a women's discipleship meeting um which I'm really proud of her for doing. So, um but you know, as as we're kind of like relaunching the podcast, I did want to continue on with that image of God in the Imago Dei uh, conversation—it's um, a really, really important one, and it definitely is my my favorite topic for the past year or so, um, just because it's so influential for Christian theology and for the world. I really, I really think. But last year, I read probably what is the most influential book for me in terms of the Imago Dei, um, and that book it sparked so much and i think it's going to be very very good for this book to just really infiltrate the academy as well as the church i it is on my recommended read list for anybody that is entering ministry um so if i'm going to be mentoring you and you're going to be doing active ministry the one book that i'm going to read is called dignity and destiny by john kilner Um, And when I mean super influential, um, and how it sparked an interest in this topic for me, um, it's because up until this book, the image discussion was largely theological with no other disciplines taken into consideration. But, you know, this is, it's, it's, it's really understandable that that's the case. Um, because the language of the image of God, it has its origins in the Bible um in 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 the first book of genesis is where it's where it begins um but the topic requires more of an interdisciplinary treatment and Kilner's a philosopher so i think it's a really really cool thing that he's diving into the whole world of theology and philosophical theology and specifically philosophical theological anthropology in looking at what is what does the image of god actually look like what how's it what's it look like throughout history how have people implemented it and what are some of the repercussions of people's implementation of this doctrine um and you know Kilner's a bioethicist so he's really concerned about um how we treat our fellow biological humans so you know with that um it's a really good introduction to not just philosophical theology um, but it's a really good introduction to the doctrine of the image of God uh, the book scans like I said it scans the scope of you know what what's called theological anthropology but he, again he's looking at it from a a philosophical point of view and he makes I think a really really good case but there is no one major theology or theologian that's safe from Kilner here. Like, he doesn't, he doesn't want to say, like, hey, like, you know, I'm a, I don't know, I don't know what where he stands necessarily theologically, but let's just um, pick on Calvin for a second. Um, you know, he's not saying, hey, because I'm a Calvinist, I'm going to look and examine every other every other theologian and theology of the Imago Dei with the exception of my own, because that's, that one's infallible, basically. Um, That's not how Kilner does it. He's very much into looking at everything, looking at the breadth of it, critiquing it and, you know, where, where do the, what, what did they do? Well, what did they do wrong? And did their wrong, their rights and their wrongs um, have any real impact on how uh, and how the church has viewed and treated other humans. Um, and he does a really good job at that. But the major, prem- the major point out of that, I think, is that that's how we should be looking at theology. Um, that we shouldn't have, yes, I mean, we can have a favorite, we can have a per- our go-to guys, um, and we can have somebody that we largely or loosely base our theology off of. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't go into that theological thought and critique without a critical eye. So, he does that super well, and he provides a way to think about the image in such a way that it crosses theological borders. He's kind of like hitting on a whole bunch of different things. But he definitely makes it clear that not any one theology has the image of God doctrine 100% correct, and I think that that's major. But before we get into the actual content, um, I have a beer, and I would love to crack it for you. This is Slopeside by New Trail Brewing Company, and it um, right now is probably one of my favorites from them. Sorry, I'm pulling it out of my brewmate while trying to hold Arwen and not going too well. But um, this thing clocks in at. Woo! This thing clocks in at, let's see, it is 9 horsepower. So 9%. It is made with mosaic, uh, mosaic hops, and the only other grain addition is oats. But there are notes. Oh, see, I told you Arwen would be kind of chiming in a little bit. So, you know, uh, this one in particular has lush citrus, rich berry, and earthy dankness. And it definitely delivers on all three of those fronts. Um, again, this is uh, probably one of my favorites from them right now. It is our local brewery. And it is a hazy double IPA, which is what they do really well. So let me crack it real quick and take a sip. So if you remember from the past, you're supposed to kind of get your get your palate wet, take a sip, let it sit, don't think about too much, just kind of take get let your let your taste buds waken up and then go from there. sip all right and we're gonna take a second sip here in a second all right so I had to take a little bit of a break here um and that is because Arwen was making a little bit of a fuss and I think she was just uncomfortable in the position that she was in which is okay yeah uh, she's a baby she's only like two and a half months old almost three months um but so I poured in the meantime. I didn't take my second sip yet, but in that, in that pour, the way that it looks, um, it's definitely got that typical hazy vibe. Um, you can't see through it at all, but it's got like this almost orange juicy type of like, uh, color to it. Um, and then the head really, you know, white thick on the nose. I'm definitely getting that dankness with a little bit of what was it a little bit of the the citrus and um i'm getting a lot of berry on the nose guys um so all right let's take our second sip let's see what we got oh okay so on the second sip um and i'll let you know what i what i uh, got on the first one as well but on the second sip i got nothing but berry it was like a mixed berry type of um type type of uh, flavor, and <clears throat> I am just I re- I just really like this one, um. But that dankness, that dankness kind of comes in on the back end and it hits you and it hits you hard. It leaves you really dry, um. But on on the first one, on the first sip that I took, what hit me at first was that lush citrus. It was like very. Um, it was like almost it was like a mixture between lemon and orange, um, like, uh, like the lemon. Like the the body of an orange because orange is usually a little bit thicker, but then on the like for a for a uh a, a like a lemon, it's usually really really bright. So I get this brightness, but this depth as well. Plus, like, I think the hops really. <laughs> help um, kind of give that like the rind you know that that bitterness from the rind of the of the orange and the lemon like definitely get that in there so guys enjoy a few sips of your beer while I get my notes up and I you know recalibrate my my brain and let's then dive into the content Are you ready? Oh. Hey, don't do that. You want to say something? All right. So, we're back. We're back at it. I hope you enjoyed a few sips of your beer in the meantime. Um so back to the the whole Kilner idea, um you know, what what do I mean when I said that it sparked something in me? Um and what I mean is that it really helps me to see Genesis 1 and really the rest of the Bible in an entirely different light and really you know that once the image concept is brought up in the last part of Genesis 1 um the entire biblical text has this image underpinning and it, it makes this i in, in my opinion it makes the image of god doctrine a like the second most important doctrine in the biblical canon. I'm not sure if I'm the only person that that believes that. I haven't really uh I haven't come across anybody yet. Um but that's just kind of where I'm standing. So um basically what I'm what I'm saying is that you have in in the first ch- uh first chapter of the Bible. Um you have two things going on. You have God establishing sovereignty over the entire world. Um, as its creator and sustainer. And then you have God creating something in his image, and it is because it's in his image that he's able to have this type of relationship with uh, what he calls humans. So, and, you know, as you're looking and reading the rest of the Bible, this is in the background of every author's mind. So, like, you know... Because humanity is made in the image of God, God can then interact with his with his creation in a very specific and unique way that he's only able to interact with us. So that's kind of why I'm thinking about you know the the image of God as being the second most important doctrine um, because also without it, the incarnation would pretty much be it'd be really really difficult. It would almost be, like, uh, um, it would almost be impossible, and that's, like, really the only word that I can come up with right now, other than just extremely difficult. Um, but, you know, we, we do read in the New Testament that the Son, or the second person of the Trinity, uh, incarnate in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, is the image of God. And, we are made in that image so or according to that image um but what really got me thinking about it um was a lot of the current culture um and with the help of my pastor it became really clear that for our our generation our time um our time specific time in history the image of god is being lost and it's being given into things like politics or you know like broad spectrum relativism and that's not something that i think we should be allowing especially in the church but both of those dehumanize humanity in in very specific ways and I'm, we're not going to get into that this isn't a political podcast this isn't a a well we do dive into philosophy so maybe we'll hit on relativism at some point but not i don't want to hit on it right now um but the both have the tendency to dehumanize people but the church is is not immune to it either um and this book sparked more than a relation than a realization i should say um it sparked a new love for uh and and appreciation for um my my fellow humans um and specifically because they are co-equal image bearers with me so i don't want to review the book i uh that that's not what my intention is here um but the intention in using and utilizing kilner's work is to kind of use it as a springboard for discussion because it is so wide sweeping but the goal is to bring you kind of along with me as I'm working on this and thinking about it, um, as a part of and sort of relaunch of the podcast, um, we're going to end up having a little bit more of my own commentary and thoughts rather than a well-researched style. I don't want to be a reporter. Um, I want to, and one of my hopes at some point is to be, um, either a philosophical theologian or, um, a philosopher or even just like a, an apologetics professor or something like I just so in order to do that I need to be able to formulate my own thoughts be able to communicate that and you know what that involves research but it also involves using my own head using the God-given abilities um, to really work through some stuff on my own <clears throat> so with that being said Um, you know, I wanted to just kind of, like, give you a look, yeah, just, like, jump into it, um, so, one of the things that Kilner brings up in his, in the first chapter of the book is all of the atrocities that were carried out by humans, um, Another good person for a review and kind of like an overview of the atrocities of man is is uh, Clay Jones. He does a really really good job. Um, he's dedicated most of his life to the topic of of evil and especially you know genocide and things like that. So he's a really good person to go talk to about it or even just read. Um, but the one thing then couple, couple things really, really come to mind when I think, uh, atrocities and, and genocide and things like that is, um, Hitler. I do have a, I do have a German heritage, so this does hit me a little bit closer to home, um, especially because I am blonde haired and blue eyed, blue eyed. So it, it does make me think, I, I think about this a lot sometimes. Um, but, Basically what Hitler was doing and trying to get across was that anyone that, that wasn't considered the perfect race, blonde hair, blue-eyed, was to be eliminated. Um, but those blonde hair, blue-eyed people had to be German. So they're supposed to be eliminated, and this leads to racism in other areas as well. Um, and you know, we, we'll get into a little bit more onto how, you know, racism is kind of a product of a misuse of the image of God. Um, and so how, how does that, like, how does this kind of like lead to racism? And I, I'll just give this like little aside here real quick, but, um, it leads to racism because there is this standard of what is considered quote unquote God. And that for Hitler was this blonde haired, blue eyed race that he was, this superhuman race that he was trying to create. So if that is the case, then Anybody that is not blonde hair, blue eyed, and German is going to then be persecuted in a way that is detrimental and dehumanizing because the epitome of being human is to be a part of that quote unquote Aryan race. So, this idea then is kind of coming to a head in the uh, concept of a lost. Or a loss of a shared status. So, if one person, even even just one person, is not in the image of God, then that would mean that all humans are not created equal, and it leads to a degradation. Sorry, of humanity as a whole. And there's some prominent theologians that really held to this view, Um, and a lot of this, in my opinion. Um, has is is a, is a a result of what what Tim Stratton calls exhaustive divine determinism, um, usually characteristic of Reformed theology, specifically Calvinist theology, and it would seem that I'm just going to call it Ed, exhaustive divine determinism. So Ed, um, and it would seem that the view supports the destruction of humanity as the image of God as a good thing. Um, and I can't get behind that. Um, and why, why, why is that? Is it because there is certain things like cognition, rationality, things like that, that are kind of read into, into the image of God. Um, it's a theological agenda that's being read back into the text of Scripture rather than being extracted out of it or exegeted out of it. Um so I don't want to get into a full critique of Calvinism, but the question that I have for you is can you get behind excuse me, a theology or theological system that is <clears throat> so bent on a very particular reading of the image of God, that it neglects other areas that are clearly taught or clearly seen as uniting or unifying for the human race. Especially, especially if the Bible does not clearly state exactly what goes into what it means to be in the image. So, if you're wondering what some of the major passages are for, the for for the image of God in the Bible, um, I guess that's you know kind of seems like a good start, a uh, good place to start. But first one, Genesis one, twenty six through thirty one. That's like the key and like main passage for the Bible. But then there's Genesis five, one through three, Genesis nine six, Colossians one fifteen. 1 Corinthians 11, 7, and Romans 8, 29. There's a couple other ones, but these are the major ones. So notice, and as, as you're reading those, take some time, pause this, and go read those, those passages if you have the time. If you're driving, please don't do that. That's just a bad idea. Continue on. But if you have the time, pause this, read those passages, and I think you'll notice something. You'll notice that nowhere, nowhere in... The biblical text, does it say that the image of God is destroyed or damaged in any way? And I think that, you know, coming back to, you know, what some of the church fathers believed about the image and about Adam and Eve and things like that, you come to find that a lot of them believed that the image was either lost in some fashion or damaged partly or even completely destroyed depending on who you read. But that's that's when, when I mentioned that there's a theological agenda being read into the image of God doctrine and image of God passages. That's what I'm talking about. They have this idea here that, you know, like total depravity um that is being read into this concept of the image and it is not it's not theologically sound. It's it's It is a fallacy. Um, What fallacy it is, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. But we need to be careful not to do what Richard Briggs, who Kilner quotes in his book, says. Um, He says that they've, they've seen something like a reflection of their own image. Let me read that again. They have seen something like a reflection of their own image, these theologians' image. Or these theologians as they are in themselves, or rather what they already understand the notion of image to be. So there's another I you know, Kilner's not the only one that recognized this. Briggs is another one. And then there is an old testament scholar, John Thompson, basically that says, you know, you know, you know, what tends to happen is that when you read an interpreter's explanation of the image, you're pointed to a larger thing theological agenda. So, I don't know which one it is, but if a particular theologian reads into the image of God, or they they are defining the image of God as something like, uh, you know, as Genesis 1 says, that we are to be kind of like rulers and basically stewards over all of creation, taking care of it and things like that. So there's this uh, this idea of rulership that is a part of the image. Um, if that's the only thing and they kind of neglect everything else, then that is going to kind of lead you in a way to a logical theological agenda. What that is, you would have to read more of that person. But still, it is probably a pretty good signifier that they have a... Um, A larger theological agenda that they're trying to push. But the goal is to not, this is a good hermeneutical goal. The goal is to not import anything into it here and gather, but yet gather what the Bible says and then apply it. Again, good theological, hermeneutical, biblical concept. Just do that um but because this is an apologetics podcast um what are what are some of the apologetic concerns or connections that we can make regarding regarding the image of god um for one i i think it's a good question to ask like you know what do we do with the dehumanization we've seen in the past and sometimes that we see today um one of the things that um that really kind of like helped spark this thought process for me was um <clears throat> the the killing of George Floyd um some people are calling it murder some people are just saying kill um i'll just kind of go out and blat- blatantly say it I do think that this was a clear case of murder. Um, you know, the 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 officers involved they did have a history, um, and that history was kind of covered up or somewhat um, swept under the rug. Uh, but regardless, um, it was it, I think it was a pretty clear and cut case. It was just a matter of kind of determining what the what the sentencing would be would look like. Um, but you know, there's that was one of the things that really kind of sparked this, you know, idea of like, okay, how are we treating our, our fellow humans that have a different skin color than us? Or maybe even a different, um, intellectual capability. Um, or maybe they have a genetic defect. Like some of my favorite humans in the world have, um trisomy twenty three which is called down syndrome. they're some of like the nicest people, yeah, you know they they do have um some needs that are very unique to themselves, uh, but regardless, they're some of the most loving people that I have ever met and quite honestly, I miss my time working with them just because I Yes, sometimes it was frustrating, but there was never a day that I came home without a smile on my face because of something that they did said or just kind of like it was just an overall good day um same thing with um same thing with the kids that I'd worked with that were autistic um as a substitute teacher, you know i same thing i'd i'd never i'd came home with you know a smile on my face, a happy heart because. Or especially if I had some autistic or Down syndrome students, it was just like the greatest joy to be able to see them learn, and to see them interact with their fellow classmates that were, for lack of a better term, normal, and see them both just interact and love each other. It was, it was just great. But what do we do whenever we see a dehumanization of somebody like that? do we point them back and say no like yeah they they might be they might look different from you they might act different from you but they're still human they and because of that they they have this innate deep seated worth that you need to respect whether or not you actually engage with them from here on out that is up to you But that doesn't mean you get to disrespect them, and place them in it. Place them in a in a category that's lower than you. There's nothing unique about you that allows you or gives you the right to do that. And I think that that's really clear throughout Scripture, especially with the person of Jesus. And you know, when I think when when that idea comes up the idea of of jesus being a really good example of how to not dehumanize a person and contrary to what um a lot of people say jesus wasn't racist (laughs) so that just you know that has always bugged me um but sorry i needed need a sip I was getting really really dry there for a second um oh maybe that wasn't a good idea I forgot how uh how dry this was it's almost so I have a kind of a, a an aside real quick so the band that I play in Prairie Dogma um not a Christian band um we just kind of have fun playing music together it's like an Americana jam band style um but uh the one guy the drummer or the percussionist is a rastermo or <laughs> master roaster of um for coffee and so he's got a very very refined palate and the descriptions that he comes up with and flavor pairings or maybe not flavor pairings but like flavor um nuances um in a, any type of liquid really um is very like he's a, just able to describe them really really well so this guy's name is dave so Dave made this really good connection with the uh with slopeside because I let him try one, and it was uh he's like it was champagne like because champagne is usually um actually almost exclusively if you're drinking real champagne um made with a dry champagne, usually a chardonnay or something like chardonnay um and it's quite literally. If you look it up, um, it is a Chardonnay that is made in the Champagne region of France and that it is carbonated in some way, shape, or form, whether that's artificially carbonated or naturally carbonated. So, little bit of wine, wine information there for you. Um, but yeah, maybe that wasn't the best idea to take a sip of that. Probably should have taken a sip of my water, um, but, you know, we can move on. So, you know... With the dehumanization of people, that's it's just something that I think we should avoid. Um, We should avoid looking at ourselves as the epitome of what it means to be human. And instead of that, what we should be doing is looking at what are the shared qualities that we have, and when we find them, that's something to celebrate. And celebrate and 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 really just if you know if christ is the image of god and we see something christ-like in a person sam crabtree wrote a really good book on practicing affirmation we should affirm that um because most people think at least or are aware of of jesus so you know especially in america like hey um it was really Christ-like of you um, whenever you when whenever you paid for that person's meal because you saw that they were struggling for for money or they were you know trying to figure out how to bring their cost down um, it was very Christ-like you to give up something that you cherish for that person um, very simplistic way of looking at um an affirmation, but still, it's an affirmation nonetheless, and I think that that's worth doing. Um, but the other question that kind of comes up is, when, when does the label get placed on a human? When does this image of God label get placed on a human? Or when is it taken away? Two, two major issues come up in that with that or with those questions so abortion and assisted suicide so we need to ask ourselves you know this does come into to play with you know what does it mean to be human when does a human when when do you become a human are you are you human at conception or is it sometime after that um biblically um i see no reason to think that a human or an unborn, a pre-born human is not considered a human at any stage of development, which is really, really what kind of it comes down to. Um, so with the abortion debate, uh, yes, I know I'm, this is a very hard and heavy topic, and I don't want to get into it right now. Um, we can later in another series or another podcast, but for right now... All we need to know is that, or think about, is when do we place this label on the unborn? Because if we place it later or at a specific point, anything before that, that would mean that it is fully permissible and moral, so to speak, to make that decision to end a life. But if that unborn or preborn child is human and in the image of God from and before conception, then there is no reason to think that taking that life and ending that pregnancy is going to um, be edifying to the to the body of Christ. But also you are doing what Genesis 5 and 9, clearly state. You are taking the life of something and someone that is made in the image of God, so therefore you are committing murder. So, what about assisted suicide? The question then becomes when does the image label get taken away? And I think it's really really obvious based on the abortion side, if it never If a human being, from conception on, is a human, then it doesn't matter how old a person is, they're still considered in the image of God. So even if a person is comatose, um, they lack cognition, they are not conscious, they do not have rational capabilities, which is what a lot of people tend, and a lot of theologians tend to think is what constitutes being in the image of God. Even if... They're comatose. This person is still in the image of God, and you ought not pull the plug. Because if you pull the plug because of that reason, then you are effectively and effectually saying that this person no longer is in the image of God, and I can do with it what I want, because I am in the and in. Let's back that up i am in the image of god so there there is no there is no logical way to to work your way around that um unless unless you there is zero regard for human life that doesn't look like yours there we have again what where was it um John Thompson that Old Testament scholar that I quoted basically when what when he said, you know, that you had this explanation or you, this this explanation of the image then points to a larger theological agenda and even then what Richard Briggs said and I think it was even better than the Clay, than the Clay Thompson than the John Thompson uh quote or uh, what he put forth, but this Richard Briggs quote, I'm gonna say it again because it was super good, that they have seen something like a reflection of their own image. So when you have this, when you when you have this in your in your repertoire, and this is something that you're constantly thinking about, like like I am, and you see and you hear and you read scholars and theologians and they make they make claims about human life and i spend a lot of time on tiktok guys um when i see a very particular progressive pastor what he calls himself a pastor um how he talks to or about i should say how he talks about Abortion um, he hasn't really talked about assisted suicide yet maybe that's something I can ask him but when I hear him talk about it, I hear him saying that he's pro-choice because it's a medical thing, not a theological thing and that's where I want to hit the stop button or the pause button and say okay we need to we need to we need to look at some stuff here because pastorally you're not there if you're going to be considering yourself a pastor, or if you really are a pastor, yes, medical, you know medical questions, you can help with those. Um, but as a pastor, you're supposed to be helping work people through some of these really, really difficult questions in life um, and always and constantly be tying them back into scripture. So, I get the pastoral heart that some people have in saying, yes, you can do with your body what you want. And I'm not... Well, we can make that a little clearer. You can do that. I'm not saying that you can't. You can do with your body whatever you would like. But regardless of what you do with your body, there are repercussions to it. So, if you, you know, if you take drugs, let's say, if you start taking drugs, I'm saying you have the freedom to do so. But if you then are, you know, later in life, saying, I need all of these things, I need a safe place to do my drugs, I need something like that, or I need a, um, I need special special health things that i'm just not able to get unless you give them to me for free or whatever it is like it's it hey like these are these are consequences maybe unintended but these are still consequences of some actions will help you but be aware that it's not going to be an easy road um so i'm just kind of riffing here um i could be totally wrong um with that, with what I just said, but that's just kind of like my initial thoughts. Um, but even regardless, <laughs> there's there's consequences to the things that we can do with our body, um, and we need to weigh them. And I think that's a really good argument for um, humans having middle knowledge. You know, being able to assess, um, being able to assess the the outcomes of certain uh, certain choices that we could make. So, um, you know, with that, with that being said, I think it's a good way to end the podcast. Um, I'm again, really, really excited to continue the podcast with you all, um, and trying some new beers with you, or even giving you some reviews on some beers that I've been drinking for a long time and just haven't really made a um, made a podcast with them yet. So again, I, if you're in my area, I really hope that you pick up the really hope you pick up SlopeSide or check out New Trail. They have really, some really good stuff and I will see you guys later.